I'll happily switch to Dean's or EC5's or whatever it is if it gets my green card. (laughs) (laughs) There's your intro. (laughs) (laughs) This is the RC Roundtable, a casual discussion about all aspects of flying model airplanes. Hey everybody, welcome to RC Roundtable. I am Lee, and I will be your host today because our wait, wait, buddy wait. Fitz... Wait, Where's Fitz? What did you do with Fitz? I shipped him away, and not in his suitcase, <laughs> to Germany because his suitcase didn't make it. <laughs> it eventually got there. It eventually made it after it made several trips. I asked him if there were like several tags on it, see how far it went around the world. But uh, Fitz is away in Germany having a wonderful time uh, styling the new Lederhosen. And uh, hopefully we'll see some fun pics uh, from him and stories when he comes back. Uh, he has posted a couple of uh, articles on uh, RC Roundtable on our Facebook page, so look for that. And uh, today we have uh, Terry Dunn. Hello there. And our special guest, Ben Warren. Hi. Hi, guys. And Ben is a, a buddy of mine. <laughs> He's not yours, Terry. He's mine. Uh, ben is a buddy that I've mentioned before in the past. Uh, ben uh, runs Burtwood RC projects. He uh, cuts uh, laser, well, laser and CNC products, and he uh, cuts some thunder and lightnings for me out of foam. He's got a great little workshop, and we've had some fun time together. But he's also a uh, a podcast guy. He used to uh, be on the RC Today show. So I gave him a call and asked if he'd fill in for Fitz, and thankfully he said yes. So we'll get to have some fun with Ben today. Thanks for having me. It's been a while since we uh, recorded a podcast. The RC Today show finished uh, uh, early this year, I think it was. So, uh, yeah, it's been fun to dig out and dust off the microphone. How long were you doing that? I was, um, I guess I was a guest host on and off for nearly three years. Um, I wasn't on every week. Uh, Chris and Bobby were the the two main hosts, but uh, they've been running the podcast for years. I think Chris was one of the very early pioneers of the RC podcast world and he'd been involved in a lot of them from from the very early I think it was almost 10 years he said he'd been doing it for it's a long time wow I didn't yeah, know so podcast at all had been around that long it, I was late been, to the game yeah well it's pretty much right around when the iPod sort of started becoming popular I guess um which must have been at least 10 years ago now wow I wonder if the guy who thought of that is rich now is there any money in Dreaming Up podcast? I don't think so. They're, they're called radio shows. Yeah. <laughs> Remember Radio Terry? Well, yeah, but <laughs> the whole idea of doing it in this format is something new. I think the well, early ones when you know you could sell advertising and, and you had a lot of downloads, I think it's possible to make some money. But I don't think there's much money in podcasting, I'm afraid. Sorry to break it to you. Oh, I haven't seen a penny if there is. No, I meant the guy who invented the concept. Oh. Not so much the people who do it, but... The guy who said, aha, here's something we should do. But anyway, those are the crazy things my mind comes up with. <laughs> well, you know what? And now that I realize Ben's been doing it for three years, he, he trumps us in seniority. So maybe he needs to take charge of the show from now on. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. I mean, I was only Can doing just it hand on the reins? Chris, Chris was our, uh, our leader. <laughs> right. So Lee has told me a little bit about working over in your shop. So I'm curious to know what kind of setup you have and what sort of capability is in your garage well um 
firstly, I was very fortunate when we moved to Houston and we were looking for a house. Uh, my wife found this uh, lovely house, which is only 15 minutes away from my office. And on the back of the garage was a large workshop that's probably oh, at least 25 foot long by 16 foot wide. And uh, with a dedicated uh, open workspace with a sink and uh, AC and heat and running water. It's uh, It was fantastic. I've even got 220 ho uh, electricity as well as 110 floor mounted uh, receptacles it's it was perfect so i fell in vaulted ceilings too vaulted ceilings i fell in love with the place instantly <laughs> <laughs> didn't even have to walk in the house no nope. we'll take it yep it was almost like that yeah so uh so yeah so when um so finally this is obviously the first decent sized workshop i've been fortunate to have uh my previous house which was in the middle east i was literally stuck in the cupboard under the stairs so moving from the space under the stairs to this huge workshop was uh, was uh, quite a revelation for me. Just meant all my models got a lot bigger and the mess gets a lot bigger. When you've got more space, you just make more mess. <laughs> yeah, you just naturally fill the space you're in. You really do, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so uh, I've been messing around making... Uh, uh, multi-rotor frames uh for a while and i was having them laser cut by uh, a company in uh, somewhere in california and uh, decided that uh, although they were very good quality and very good pricing the turnaround was very slow uh, which meant that i had to stock more than i wanted to stock and i couldn't be very flexible on the designs i couldn't change the design without before i sold out of the stock etc etc so i decided to research getting my own laser cutter and kind of snowball from there really i now have a six feet by ten feet cnc router with a laser cutter attachment so technically i'm able to do um six feet by ten feet laser cutting <laughs> well and can you use the same files for laser or routing? Yes, my my laser cutter capability is relatively limited, uh, meaning that my CAM software can only turn the laser on and off. Because it's an attachment to a router system, um, I use the signal that triggers the Z-axis to go either negative or positive to turn the laser on and off. So I can't control the intensity of the laser. So every every laser file needs to be either at one power setting so if i want to do some engraving i run it at one power setting which is manually set and then if i want to cut i run another file where i manually set the power level to the to the cutting um and then i vary the speed in the in the cam software but it so okay. it, it was a, it was a it was a relatively cheap way and simple way to add laser cutting capability to a cnc writer and so this might be a very complex question, but when you come up with a widget that you want to make, how do you decide whether you laser cut it or route it? Um, depends on it depends on the material I'm cutting it from. If it's gonna if it's thin uh, plywood, like the vast majority of all of my stuff is made from one eighth uh, ply, um, I will I will laser cut it because the writer to cut thin materials like that I'd have to use very small uh, router bits like 1 8th or 1 16th and they're quite fragile 
Um, so I would I would laser cut it, and also you can get very small square square corners and slots and things like that, where obviously the the writer leaves um, radius corners, or you have to add what's called dog bones, um, where the where the writer bit will overcut it just in the corner to so that when you slot something in, the corner is clear; it doesn't have a radius. Um, uh, so that that's. That's basically it. Um, also, uh, foam uh, foam board, like Dollar Tree foam board, I used to do a lot of models from the foam board, and it cuts beautifully with the laser, and it and it doesn't cut very well at all with the with the writer. So that's obviously a no brainer. And anything larger than sort of uh, twelve by twenty four, I tend to writer rather than laser. So it, it's a it's a cross between the the two at the moment. Okay, and you said your cut bed is what six feet by ten feet? Yeah, yeah. So I can get full eight by four sheets of uh, plywood or foam or whatever it is I'm cutting. Wow! So I cut. I've also it, I use it the the machine for not just for RC purposes. Obviously, it's way overkill for RC purposes. But I do make a lot of sort of furniture and bits and pieces for friends and and signs and all sorts of stuff. I uh. I came across a, a local guy recently who makes some absolutely beautiful furniture, uh, and he brought to me a a ten foot by four foot slab of maple that was three inches thick, and I uh, it was absolutely beautiful. There were several pieces, like there were some walnut pieces of a similar size, and because the machine is so big, I was able to skim it to make sure it's perfectly flat to surface it. So um, I I do a, through my website I offer a CNC cutting service. So if you have any plans or ideas or whatever it is, you come to me and uh, I'll, I'll you give me the files and I'll cut it for you. And that's how he found me. And he makes beautiful um, like conference tables and live edge conference tables and stuff like that. Well, how heavy was that piece of wood? Uh, very. <laughs> um, I, surprisingly, I was surprisingly I was actually able to get it onto the machine myself. The tricky bit was with turning it over. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't easy, and I wouldn't recommend you try and move it on your own. But I was able to to do it on my own. It's a lot easier with two. Yeah, I'm picturing the drawbridge to a moat at an old castle. You're right. <laughs> right. It wasn't far off that. Yeah. And Lee, I'm sorry I've been bogarting your friend here. What questions do you have? <laughs> no, it's it's interesting because when he's telling you about his workshop, I I've been uh, blessed to visit it, and I haven't photographed. I think maybe maybe I did take a picture for you, Terry. But uh, you know, he cut uh, that CF88 foam for me for the Thunder and Lightnings, and I've seen some of the other furniture and projects he's made. It's amazing. Uh, I'm looking at your website right now, Ben. Has has there been a popular kit that you you are selling right now? Um, your quads. It's been a bit quiet lately, to be honest. Excuse me. Um, but the most popular kit I've been selling by far was a joint project with a good buddy of mine, um, and we call it the Sky Jeep. And it's a, it's a roughly a two fifty size quad that looks like a Willis Jeep. Can you see that one on the website? Oh yeah, and you actually uh, showed it to me yeah. when we met that day. That one was been yeah, by neat. far the most popular. That was. A good friend of mine um, was was wanting to learn how to use SketchUp because originally I did all I do all my conceptual designs and drawing in the the free three D software called SketchUp and uh, and that's a perfect way to 
get started in CNC actually because there's an interesting plugin for SketchUp which allows you to generate G-code directly from uh, SketchUp and it's free. So that's how I started with it before I invested in the much higher quality um, CAM software and I currently use VCarve Pro uh, which is fantastic software but um, SketchUp itself I, I start all of my designs in uh, SketchUp and then I transfer them through CAD and then into my CAM software but uh, my buddy wanted had this idea to make a jeep that uh, 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 sorry a quad that looked like a jeep, and uh, he sent. I was kind of giving him some training on SketchUp, and he would send me the file, and I would make some adjustments and send it back to him. and And uh, quite frankly, he's absolutely terrible at SketchUp. So um, the modifications I made to the file were so extensive, I ended up just completely redesigning his jeep, and we ended up with what you see on the website. So. <laughs> Um, so in the end, it was it turned out way better than either one of us expected, and uh, so we decided to uh, to offer them for sale for other people. That's neat. Yeah, yeah I, just the idea of that, I would probably squint an eye and say, eh, "What are you talking about?" Exactly, but when you look yeah. at it, it's really cool. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's an unconventional, but the end product is impressive. And I made some. Uh, promotional ones to take with me to uh, some of the RC shows I've attended last in the last year or so. Uh, so I made a 600% version of it as well, which ended up being like the four feet uh, diameter, if you like. <laughs> wow. Did you make it airworthy? <laughs> Unfortunately not. The uh, plywood was not a scale density, so it ended ah. up being way too heavy. It was almost like 40 pounds, I think, by the time it was finished. So I think I, I investigated a power system for it, but I think it would have cost in the region of $2,000 to get it airborne. So <laughs> I decided to uh, leave that be. And I think I can commiserate with your friend because if I recall, you had some fun at my CAD, my CAD design abilities as well. When you and Lee were working on the Thunder and Lightning. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there was, <laughs> yeah, there was one or two um, uh, uh, discrepancies, shall we say? <laughs> well, it's just it was amazing to watch Ben take the, the the PDFs and just turn it into a 3D rendering. I was just floored. I mean, he he uses it all the time, so you know it's not a big deal to him. But it was just it was really cool to see it, you know, just come alive. Yeah, it's SketchUp's a fantastic piece of software, and I've been using it for. Well, more years than I care to admit. I was, a, again, an early adopter of that one when it came available. It was originally a Google software, and now it's owned by Trimble, I believe. But uh, once you get get the hang of it, it's like, like any software packages, once you get comfortable, you, you can get pretty quick, pretty efficient with it. So for people who don't know, SketchUp is, how would you describe it? It's a very simple, easy-to-learn 3D modeling uh, package. It's incredibly powerful if you want it to be and there's lots of plugins and there's a pro version with a few more features um, but the basic version you, you're able to do a lot and there's a lot of free plugins for it which are, which give you additional tools but you literally you can be as free and easy with it as you like as rough as you like or you can be as precise as you like so you could literally just draw a square on the screen uh, and then extrude it and then push and pull it until you get what you want or you can actually type the dimensions and and distances that you want to move and and uh uh yeah so it's it's very easy to come up with conceptual designs 
and then you can just refine it and refine it until you end up with a precise design um, or if you want you can do it the opposite way if you want to go directly for the precise design you you can do so by typing in the the right values it's i find it um, um very easy to to learn and is it still freeware yeah there's a there's a free version and there's a pro version and even the pro version okay. is not expensive by 3d software standards i mean the pro version's approximately $500 but it i i believe the free version is such great value you get the vast majority of the tools there's not very many tools that the pro version offers over the free version that are, i believe worth it because there are free plugins which make the free version almost as versatile and as powerful as the pro version but you can you can yeah, i've never really played with it but that's something i need to do it's a lot of um it's very popular in the architectural world for designing houses and landscapes and things like that uh and you can you can there's there's a another software package that comes with it it's a companion one called layouts which will actually generate um lots of drawings and things like that um so actual sort of construction drawings that one i haven't bothered getting to know i haven't had any desire to or need to but um it's very powerful for um, uh, the architecture world and like home building and things like that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to mention uh, a gentleman later on in the show uh, about his uh, work with the CNC machine. Uh, he was using AutoCAD to do stuff, but you know, using SketchUp. Are, did you have any issues with doing SketchUp and then trying to get it to talk with your CNC machine? Is there another step that you were working with or struggling with? Well. In the beginning, in the early days, like I said, there's a there's a very basic uh, CAM plugin for SketchUp, which allows you to generate G-code from directly from within SketchUp. So if you're using um, the CNC, uh, simple CNC software like uh, Mac 3, which is the piece of software that takes the G-code and makes your machine move, um, you can generate uh, quite some quite interesting designs and that's being constantly updated and constantly refined. I haven't used it for nearly 18 months now and I know that it's been updated several several times since then and, it's, and it gets more and more capable every time and that's called uh, SketchuCam um, and, that's, and that's a free plugin so that makes uh, SketchUp and SketchuCam makes a great CAD CAM package for first-time CNCers and especially considering it's free but um, the, the, the cam side of it is limited but to but when I took the jump and I and I and I invested in some good quality um, cam software and I and I use vCarve Pro which has a way more control over jet the tool paths and, and the way the tool paths are generated and you can also do basic 2d design directly in vCarve so over the last 12 months or 18 months I've become fairly proficient within vCarve so I can do designs directly in vCarve and miss out um, um, SketchUp altogether but to answer your question um, this, the SketchUp file extension is a .skp which is not really compatible with that many things so um, it uh, excuse me let me mute my cell phone um, you can, but there are plugins from within SketchUp which will allow you to export to DWGs or DXFs, which are very common CAD formats. And VCarve will accept those. I can I can import those directly, 
or sometimes I will open them in a CAD package, a simple 2D CAD package, and I use uh, DraftSite, which is again a free 2D draft uh, CAD package, which is very, very similar to the ubiquitous AutoCAD. A lot of the key commands and keyboard cuts are uh, shortcuts are the same. Um, and uh, so I do any tweaks in there and each each of the softwares have their own strengths and weaknesses. Um, so it can sometimes sound more complicated than it actually is for the first time CNC or the somebody thinking about getting into it. It can be, I can totally understand why it might seem a bit overwhelming, but it's really not as complicated as it sounds. <laughs> Oh, you say that, but I was watching it. I was you lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like because you were you started talking to me about the stepper motors, and I was like, okay, let's just cut foam. <laughs> <laughs> well, like like anything, if you once you break it down into individual steps and the individual sort of components, it it, it becomes a far more simple. So, but the 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 whole CNC side of the of my hobby, if you like, is a hobby in itself. I mean, it's quite a undertaken and it is a fairly steep learning curve and it's been that's been a, a fascinating side of my hobby ever for the last three years it's been it's been as much fun as the rc side of things do you still fly frequently <laughs> um nowhere near as frequently as i would like actually i um i'm i was thinking about it today and uh, the last time i was flying was last november it's been that long uh with um with family commitments house projects projects for friends and and customers and uh my own sort of uh, little things in the workshop upgrading the workshop i've recently installed a new dust collection system i just simply haven't had time to get out to the field <laughs> lee you need to go over there and throw him in the trunk and take him to the field uh, i've had a i also picked up another project recently which is not rc related but something that i've wanted to do my entire life i've got i've now have an ac cobra replica in my garage <laughs> oh nice yeah, tell me so, it's got a 427 or will uh, no i won't tell you what's in it because you'll you'll <laughs> call me blasphemous <laughs> probably not. it's electric i'm not a purist <laughs> it's it's a it's got a small block chevy in it <laughs> well that's okay but, a three fifty, uh, three hundred five, three fifty. Yeah, it's a. You can get a lot of horsepower for cheap with that. Well, and the car's so small and light; it doesn't need a lot. So, right. <laughs> we expect custom CNC, you know, dashboard items <laughs> all over that thing. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Laser cut wheels. Planning on that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no. Unfortunately, I've been I've been hoping to. Uh, I was hoping to go to the Apache Pass uh, fly-in, in, which is coming up at the I believe the end of September, beginning of October. It's, it's one of my favorite uh, events in the local area. It's uh, halfway between Austin and um, uh, College Station, or roughly in that area. And they got a fantastic location. It's a great event. You you got so much space there. But uh, my my wife just told me she's booked a camping weekend for the same weekend. So <laughs> I'm not even going to get to go to that this year. Maybe it's an Apache Pass. Well, yeah, I did kind of like suggest that, and the look I got meant that that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> well, if it's not the first weekend of October, you should go to Best. Yes, absolutely. That was the uh, that was my fallback plan. I'm hoping to go to that one too. Good. I'll I'll throw you in the trunk and take you with me. Absolutely. Yeah, I need yeah. I need <laughs> I need to be kidnapped to get out of the house because I got several projects planes here waiting to be flown that haven't been flown yet. So I have a 
I have an old Thunder Tiger uh, powered glider uh, called an E-Hawk and, and a really old thing that's never been flown. So I, a friend of mine gave that to me some time ago and I upgraded it from to uh, to from brushed to brushless and NICADs to LiPos and and uh, uh, I can't wait to get that in the air. That's been finished for some time now. Oh, and for the record, my uh, I'm Anderson Powerpoles, and uh, loop <laughs> loop goes on the plane, hook goes on the battery, and my religion. No, <laughs> and I'm sorry, we've just lost time with our friend Ben. Uh, hope you and my, hope you catch our show later. And my religion is oh my gosh, uh, Tyrannis, really? not Futaba, Spectrum, or JR. <laughs> Oh no! He had that planned. He was like going to just stab me in the back. <laughs> yeah, he didn't I see mean, that up front, did he? He waited till we were well into this. I know, but now we now we have we're, to have committed. Him on the show. It's too late to get somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, well, kind of. I mean, I was okay with the Anderson poles for a little bit, but then when you said uh, <laughs> loop on the plane, <laughs> I know it's like. I invited you. I brought you into our home. <laughs> ben, how many how many places have you lived? Um, I obviously England. Um, we spent a year in India. Uh, we spent six years in Malaysia. We spent just short of four years in the Middle East in Qatar, and now we've been here in Texas for just short of four years, I guess. Is there another move on the horizon? Uh, it depends whether my green card comes through or not. <laughs> um, well, currently, my my job has moved us. I joined the company I'm working for now in Malaysia. I was already in Malaysia, and then I, I changed to the company I'm currently with, and they moved us to the Middle East, and then they moved us to Texas. So uh, we, we really like it here. Um, one of my daughters was born here. I have a three-year-old girl who was born here, and uh, we love the, the, the area, this part of... Houston is really nice it's you know so we love the lifestyle and we love the people so we'd like to stay a bit longer well, I hope that I'd like you to you. stay too <laughs> if you need a sponsor with the well, State Department well my company is sponsoring me so hopefully that will work but uh, it's taken quite some time the whole process is quite some time and uh, I'm not sure if 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 Donald Trump agrees that I'm welcome or not we'll see <laughs> Well, he heard about the Tyrannus and the power poles. So. <laughs> He's cool with the Velcro. <laughs> I'll happily switch to Dean's or EC5's or whatever it is if it gets my green card. <laughs> There's uh, your intro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's probably right. You're probably right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, folks, and we'll be right back. It's nice to have someone new in the show because we asked Ben if he had anything and he was going to talk about the a Runcam product he saw. So, hey, Ben. Yeah. What's this Runcam thing you're talking about? Well, I have a have an interest in FPV from the uh, from the from the multi rotor frames that I produce, and uh, I've always been impressed with the Runcam uh, cameras. And I came across recently. I'm not quite sure when it was released, but I'm pretty sure it's new. But they have this cool little Runcam split which is basically giving you um, high-definition recording in a traditional mini FPV camera footprint. 
And to add the uh, DVR capability, they've kind of broken that out on a separate board so it could be mounted somewhere else. So it gives you much greater flexibility for for mounting on small small multi rotors, and so you don't have to have a big GoPro sat on top or something like that. It looks very nice. In fact, um, since I was last looking at their website, they've updated almost all of their cameras. <laughs> Now, looking at their website, it shows that it's pre-order, so it must be new. It must be pretty not new, available right. yet. Yeah. So help me understand all the advantages of this. I would think, number one, you're not carrying two cameras. You would normally carry yep. an analog camera for the video signal and then a, a digital mini cam for recording. This gets rid of that extra digital camera. Yes, I guess it, it, can buy, use, it allows you to use the same lens um, for, the, uh, for the DVR as well. But it would also mean that you've got your OSD screen on the main camera. So one of the advantages of carrying separate GoPros is that you get the high def uh, image, but you don't see all of your OSD stuff that you would have on your dedicated FPV camera. So I'm not sure how they would get around that. So if you were using on-screen display, yeah. your recording would show that. Yeah. Which is not necessarily a good thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing as well, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it depends yeah. on what you're looking for, yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So with my limited knowledge of electronics, the reason you would have a separate camera for recording is because you don't have the latency. Let me rephrase that. The reason you would have a separate one for FPV is because you wouldn't have the latency that's normally involved with a digital camera. Yes. So does adding a recording system here bypass that somehow? I'm guessing it does, yes. It looks like they will take the the output from the lens, if you like, directly to the FPV transmitter and bypassing and so so that it goes from the camera to the FPV transmitter and then there's this looks like it's a separate signal going to the, the DVR recorder so you don't go through the DVR recorder to the FPV transmitter. So I'm guessing that's how they avoid the latency issues. I wonder if the the recording just lags behind a little bit as it catches up. Possibly, yeah. Or or if it's even an issue. Yeah, I don't think it's and an issue at all when you're just using it for for recording. But uh, yeah, as long as you don't get the latency in the FPV link, you're uh, you're you're good to go. Well, even the latest Runcam, the the Run, well, it's not the latest anymore, but the Runcam two, using the video out from that, there was very little latency, even while you're recording. So I, yeah. I think we're right on the verge of it yeah, some, not being significant. Some of those, um, these you know, uh, multi rotor racers, they 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 can't stand at any latency whatsoever. So, uh, but. You know, I, I remember there being the whole uh, debate on the, um, was it the Aurora A9 transmitter? And the people were saying how terrible the latency was on that. I, I, I flew one of those and I couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> you know, so you get used to it. And I think it's a kind of, it's almost to the same degree with the uh, the FPV cameras and the latency. I think you could, the vast majority of people could use the Runcam digital camera as the main uh, FPV camera and still live with the the latency but when these competition pilots start screaming through these tiny gates uh uh it's 60 miles an hour then i guess every every little bit helps yeah i guess it's all just a matter of your personal calibration for that yeah. sort of stuff yeah exactly i have a pretty wide tolerance i think yeah <laughs> yep and what's the uh, resolution and frame rate we're talking about 1080p at 60 frames per second that's what i usually record at anyway yeah and what's the lens angle? Pretty wise, 165 degrees. 
Does it talk about fisheye effect at all? I, I haven't been able to see anything about that, but I do know that because it has the, the more traditional FPV camera lens, there are a wide range of lenses available that would fit. So you could change it to suit. I see. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you can get, the, they've got, they're advertising 140 degree angles as well. Uh, and there, okay. and you know, and that's a standard thread size. So there'll be there'll be dozens of lenses available. Okay, and at seventy five dollars, it's right in the the same price range as the the Runcam two, or yeah. Runcam three. The, the only the only slight uh, negative, I guess you could put it, is that the the actual DVR board itself is actually quite big. That looks like it's as, uh, as big as a traditional flight controller would be. So what would that be? 50, 50, or is it 26 millimeters square or 50 millimeters square? I forget. I get confused. Um, so yeah, if you look, if you scroll down on their page, you can see it mounted in a, in a mini quad frame and the actual ah, DVR board is quite big. Okay. But would you just stack it with the flight controller? Exactly. It looks like they've chosen okay. the same uh, footprint or size format to uh, to be easily stacked with a with a traditional flight controller. And I would just imagine the next step is to integrate the two somehow. Um, I've seen they they are the the integrated because the trend seems to be going for smaller and smaller. Uh, race quads and drones and stuff so the, the the flight controllers are getting smaller and smaller and they're starting to integrate um, receivers directly into them uh, um, speed controllers directly into them especially for the smaller ones so that they're getting a, a one board solution you just plug the power into it and connect your motors to it and you in the way you go but to, right. to integrate the DVR into it as well I think that's maybe one step too far personally Okay. Um, because because when you have all of those things integrated, if one ESC burns up, you've lost the entire board. You've lost your flight control, your receiver, and three three other uh, speed controllers as well. So um, if you've got the DVR in integrated as well, that's um, you've lost even a, yet another thing. But yeah, that makes sense too. But with the the way that these things are being shrunk down these days, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they did start to offer that at some stage. Okay, and I can't see easily here. Is it recording to an SD card? Yes. Okay. Yeah, micro or SD. Or micro card. SD. And in, yeah. interesting as well. This one has a Wi-Fi module, so that you can look at the the, the you can frame the camera shot on your cell phone, much like the modern GoPros. Okay, that's handy. Yeah. Does the Runcam, the other Runcam camera do that? Does that have Wi-Fi? The Runcam 2 does. Okay. Yeah. Must and be. that's very handy for yeah. framing shots. Yeah. It must be, the, must be the same guts from the Runcam 2. They've just broken it out into separate boards. Yeah, that would make sense yeah. to, to share a lot of parts. But yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. I've not seen that until very recently. Yeah, and my recent experience with the um, Vortex 150 from Immersion RC, there just isn't room on there to put a separate camera unless you start you know, modifying and kind of shoehorning it in there. So as these race quads get smaller, I think you kind of have to go to this yeah. dual option. Or, you're, or you have to go to the high-def download link uh fpv links and those are those are very impressive but expensive right All right lee you're an fpv guy <laughs> what do you say 
Let me dust myself off here. I felt like I was tossed away. The only thing I, I'm questioning is how you actually turn on and off the recording. I mean... Good question. If you're... I mean, it, it looked like there's a button on the side that says power shutter. Uh, with it being... And I was wondering if you started recording. With it being Wi-Fi, I would imagine you could probably turn it on and off via Wi-Fi, right? Can you do that um, on the Runcam too? Yes. I think, in theory, in my experience, if you initiate a a record or a video through Wi-Fi and then you get out of range, which is not very much, it kind of goes berserk. Um, Yeah, I was going to say with Terry, you'd only use it to start when you're nearby. But if you're flying this FPV, you might might start when you're far away, you know, and not close enough to turn it on. So I wonder if it's you just turn it on, you you know, just just limit yourself. But it would be nice if there was some way of... uh, I don't know, adding another channel or something to turn it on and off, but I don't see that here. So I guess you just have to start it and then stop it when you get it back. Yeah. Yeah, which is the process now anyway. You push the button on your camera, go yeah. fly, and then push it when you're done and hope that it all recorded. How do you like that uh, Vortex uh, 150? It's um, it's my first venture into the smaller quads. I was flying 250 class quads before this. And I didn't think it would be much different, but wow, it's a lot different. Hmm, in what um, way? Um, I think in maneuverability, it's much quicker to initiate and recover from flips and rolls. And I think that's because A, it's lighter, and B, the, the moment of inertia is so much less. Um, so that's helped me a lot, especially flying rate mode. I used to, when I would try to recover from a flip, I would oscillate a little bit before I settled back into level flight. And now with this thing, I just lock right in every time. So I don't feel like the quads fighting me like my previous ones were. Those those Vortex have got great flight controllers as well. They're really well tuned. Yeah, and I'm using the default PIDs and all the default um, control settings with that. And I, I don't know if it just happens to mesh well with my preferences or if they've really honed in on what most people use. But yeah, I don't see any reason to mess with it. Yeah, interesting. I was um, I was a very early uh, experimenter with uh, multi-rotors when they first came on the scene when you had to hack the Nintendo Wii controllers to get the gyros and the, mo- in the, and the, and the motion sensors. And, and uh, oh, they were they an were incredible amount of work to get those to fly, but extremely rewarding when you do. But compared to what you can do now out of the box with these things, it's, in, it's, it's just a night and day difference. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. Even just in the past two years, I think oh, the, the flight yeah. controllers have come a long way. My last, um, I guess you could call it high-end build I did for myself was uh, I used the KISS uh, flight controllers and ESCs, and which, which integrate with each other and they talk to one another. And, they, um, and if you use... Um, uh, a free sky uh, radio system the, there's the telemetry the speed controllers talk to the flight controller which talks to the telemetry and it's all fully integrated it's it's awesome and that thing flies amazing but even that's considered old hat now and i only bought that built that early this year that's been yeah, it's s- like buying yeah. a, a computer or a tv or a phone it's obsolete by the time you get it inside yeah the, the multi-rotor industry is just moving at such an incredible pace 
which is part of what makes it so challenging and why you see so many companies come and go. They do come um, and go quickly, yeah. If there's any hiccup in your R&D for a product, you're already behind the curve. Yep. So. Yeah. It's the uh, and we saw that with in on the large scale stuff with um, GoPro and their Karma. That kind of was released to lots of fanfare, and then they had lots of issues with it and had to recall it. And and now the DJI Mavic has just walked away with the market. Yeah, and Unique is having the same sort of troubles. They did, yeah. But you would like to see some competition there with DJI, but they're a Goliath. They really are these days. Yeah, yeah. So and it's funny you mentioned the setup on on your quad with that Vortex 150. Um, comparing it to those previous 250 quads, uh, the build was nothing. All I had to do was plug in a Spectrum satellite receiver to the flight controller, and then link that to my Spectrum radio, and that was it. The on-screen display was set up. All the flight controller stuff was set up. Um, you go in and you. Um, calibrate it with the transmitter and that works through the on-screen display so I never had to hook it to my PC I, it was in an hour I opened the box and it was ready to fly yeah. there's a lot to be said for this pretty much a RTF version of a plane right is uh... Uh, uh, yeah it really you know, I think there's a lot of value in going through that process of setting up a flight controller yeah. and knowing the background behind it but if you've already got that foundation and you just want to go out and fly it's hard to argue with the convenience of the newer ones. It really is. It's like it's like why do you need to learn a learn to drive a manual transmission when ninety percent of the cars out there are automatic? There's <laughs> right. no need to learn anymore. You don't. You can just buy it off the shelf and away it goes. And the performance Boy, is fantastic. We just lost all our hot red fans. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Everybody who drives a standard is going. What did he just say? Well, I drive <laughs> I drive a manual transmission every day. My two cars I have are both manual transmissions. So, but. You know, there's a. It's surprising how many friends get in my car, and they're really surprised, genuinely surprised to see a manual transmission. They're like, "Oh wow, stick! That's a novelty." <laughs> right. I I keep telling myself that when my kids are ready to learn, which is only a couple years away now, um, that they're going to learn how to drive a stick and they're going to learn how to back up a trailer. Yep. Just in case they ever have to do either one. But uh, I, we'll I, see if I follow through on that. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think my girls are, are, are expecting to learn to drive in the Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> they, I'll test drive it for them. <laughs> they, they both absolutely love it. They both squeal with delight when they're in it. It's awesome. Well, I, I need to come see that. Yeah, you're welcome anytime. Tell me, who um, is it Fitz that chooses the musical interludes that you guys have? Those, some, <laughs> yes. of, some of those are hilarious. It's fits. Some of them are and completely random. <laughs> Some of them are just brilliant. Yeah, he has a lot of video game soundtracks uh, okay, and okay. anime type stuff. His his taste is quite eclectic. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, really eclectic. So, yeah, but I think he does a good job picking that stuff. Yeah. Sorry to interject there. No, perfectly fine. <laughs> I don't think I will appreciate uh, that. Yes. <laughs> I'll keep that in there for him. Yeah. You're welcome, Fitz. <laughs> You're appreciated. It's always it's always interesting when you start listening to the show. Um, um, you know, well, I wonder what music we're going to get this week. <laughs> <laughs> I think the same thing. You're going to be disappointed this time because I'm in charge. Uh, no rush. <laughs> 
I'll do some like you know little toy pianos and stuff. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fine. As long as it's not Tom Sawyer. Or... Oh, oh I'm, I, you're you're kicking a man while he's down, and now you're going <laughs> to insult my favorite band. Golly, man! This is a collaboration. You know what? Kirk Jensen's going to beat you up because he's a Rush fan too. He is. Whatever. Man. There's no shortage of you guys. I'm just not on board. <laughs> <laughs> one of my one of my favorite bands oh my. is actually a, a Texas band, and I was lucky enough to see them at the rodeo this year. And that's ZZ Top. ZZ Top. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. My what's the word? I guess fandom of them goes back a long way, and uh, I actually got to meet their drummer a few years ago. Because uh, we had a mutual friend, and huh. it turns out Frank. that he's was into RC at the time. Really, Frank? Beard. I don't know if he still is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. So I went out to his house out on the west side, and he showed me around, and we talked for a while, and we uh, went to Scooby Field one day and did some flying. Oh, interesting. So it was very interesting. Right. Yeah. So, so he's into RC flying or cars or? It, well, for a while he was into cars because his his sons were. And so they had a, a dirt track set up at their house. Um, but when I was talking to him, he was into airplanes. Hmm. And it was funny. They were everywhere. He, whenever he wanted something, he bought, he didn't buy one. He bought three of them, one to build and then two in case he crashed it. And uh, so, Excellent. you know, and I guess money wasn't really an object. So, yeah. Nice. Just, yeah, it was just interesting to talk to somebody who had that kind of perspective and that kind of resource to pour into it. Really? Yeah. Uh, and he was a genuinely nice guy. Cool. Yeah. I don't think I had to show up for this podcast. Uh, you guys are doing just fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just going to go to my corner right now and well, when, when, get a vaporizer. When, and <laughs> when you introduce our next topic. It's me. I'm the next topic, but I don't know if you guys want to hear about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you turn up at the workshop, Lee, you know we never run out of things to talk about. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you know I'll get all that soapbox on the FAA stuff, which is funny because I was on that soapbox at your house uh, before you know the registration or like right after it happened, and then I yep. and now like I'm back on it because of what's been happening recently, and I'll touch on it real quick. And that's uh, the AMA had a video today. Announcing their you know dialogue with the uh, FAA and their the committees they created to work on some kind of relation with the FAA, but what we really ended up getting out of the uh, the meeting or excuse me the video was that the Senate decided to uh, change some of the wording in Rule three through six, most likely because the FAA told them to, and, and the big key one here is that uh, where it used to say the FAA may not promulgate any rules. They've switched it to now that the FAA can make rules and regulations. It's a big change. Which, which also stated that uh, effective immediately after the Reauthorization Act was to be approved, would reinstate the registration database. Yeah. Which I, I took it very hard because John Taylor worked to prove our point that it was uh, illegal to create that registration database. And that it really, it, I think, as we all have said, it's just a... Uh, it was a bad choice, a bad direction. It didn't do anything. But now what the FAA has decided is that, gosh, you know, if that rule was the part or his defense to to win his case, how about we just take that away, which is what they're doing. And I, I'm i not going to go on a long talk. I know I was told I had to limit my re, uh, re, <laughs> response to one minute, but very upset about this. I'm, I'm going to do what I can to 
work harder this time, talk to more people, actually speak to my representatives this time versus sending them an email and getting a stupid one in return. And, and also talk with the AMA directly. I plan to make a, a personal call and, and chat with them and say, you know what, I just, I just don't think this is the direction we need. As a member, I don't feel like this is I, – I, look, I know that they're up against a wall. I know we have a, a situation where Congress can just do what, pretty much whatever they want right now, and then the FAA has really got to hammer them to make these changes. But I think having a registration database is worthless. I think having restricting age – to register is worthless. I think it actually hurts our industry. And finally, the attempt to create some form of test that the FAA wants to administer on people wanting to get in this hobby is basically just going to turn people away, turn people off in a way, rather. And uh, all I, I, I don't see any light from this. I, I don't see a positive. So I've got to, at least in my heart, try to do something to change it. And I will I will now stop. <laughs> I know I usually talk longer, but once we allow the FAA to promulgate rules, it's not going to stop. They're not going to retract. They're only going to add more. Yeah. It's a slippery slope. So I think it's important to, well, first of all, I think nobody should be surprised that this was coming. That was a prediction soon after the Taylor case was decided that I agree. Yeah, the FAA agree. was just going to find you know a different path. And this was the legislative route was the most obvious one. So it's not surprising. It's disappointing, but it's not surprising. And I think you, you have to look at that Taylor case and remind yourself that the fact that he won wasn't um, an endorsement by those judges of the wholesomeness of model aviation. It was just looking at 336, looking at what the FAA did and saying, nope, that doesn't jibe. So they weren't saying model airplanes are good. They were just saying the FAA did what they weren't supposed to do. Well, and in a way, they actually told the FAA what to do, which was if you don't like that, then you need to change Rule 336. Well, I was going to say, if you listen to some of that audio um, that, that you put the link up, the judges are saying, yeah, yeah, I understand why you want to you know, rein in these crazy drones, but you can't do it this way. So I, I still don't feel like, even though Taylor won his case, I don't feel like that represented any more sympathy within the government for our cause, unfortunately, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, I, I agree. And you know, people were saying that this, and I said it. I, mean, I think uh, immediately we know this this was not going to be the end. But I, after seeing the the Senate version, it it seemed like it got a lot worse. I mean, we went from back in February, I think, when I I released the early Senate version before they had to postpone it till July that it did not mention at the beginning that the FAA could promulgate rules, but now it does. And when the, and, and my comment to uh, the AMA's video, which is what they posted was that, you know, they were afraid there were going to be changes. Well, the point is the most serious change occurred and that was giving the FAA control right. of, of ruling. And that, that couldn't be any worse. I mean, you could add the test, you could add this, but the fact that you're now allowing them to control the hobby, it's, Side. And registration is not the concern. I mean, it's if they reintroduce that, which they most certainly will if it goes through, then, I mean, we've already been through that, and they've got our information anyway. I mean, we're just going back to where we were a few months ago. The concern is what they decide to do down the road that's more you know, restrictive than that. Yeah. So. Well, here's here is kind of a negative, uh, but someone said, you know, how many people have to die before you think the FAA should step in? 
And my comment is one. Well, no, I mean, I took this seriously. I think the comment, the answer is one, because nothing has ever happened. You could sit there and make up every possible way people could die. And people have died in this hobby. It's usually self-inflicted or without a, a field where something went awry. But you could come up with multiple ways. You could assume a drobe could carry something and drop on people and cause destruction, but it hasn't happened. So you could you could rule or, excuse me, regulate tons of different hobbies for fear that they will cause death but it's unrealistic is death really the word that's going around yeah they... my take on this is that most people's aversion to drones is some sort of misconstrued privacy issue where they think everybody's got some crazy zoom lens on there and they're looking through windows and things like that which is already and, illegal in many different ways right and that's usually my argument that there's laws in the books to, to take care of people who are doing yeah. malicious things with drones. Um, but I think in most cases, the technology to do what people are concerned about doesn't exist yet. It will, but it doesn't yet. So I don't know. The argument on, on a couple of threads at RC groups are the full-scale pilots complaining about model aircraft and drones. I mean, I'm pushing drones here, multi-rotors that are kid toys that are just flying around that are going to cause a major accident. And could it happen? Of course it could. You know, there's a good chance it could happen because you got stupid people out there. Yeah, that's but, a legitimate concern. But I don't think it's a reason to implement restrictions across the board. You, you pinpoint what you're trying to do and that's that's how you take care of it. It's a surgical issue, not a, you know, a shotgun issue. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the story. I, you know, it's early on right now. We still have to look at the house version. I'll keep up with the AMA's uh, reports, and of course, I'll I'll do some research and I'll chime back in. Dimitri, there's no point in you getting hysterical at a moment like this. Dimitri, keep your feet on the ground when you're talking. Dimitri, I I am not I am not getting uh, no Dimitri. I'm I'm just worried. That's all. So I'd like to talk about a story I mentioned last time, which is about a gentleman named Mike McCormick from uh, Minnesota who is building a Zeroli custom Zeroli P38 Lightning. And uh, if you remember, if you heard the story, and I'll just repeat it briefly, is this is a gentleman who's only been in the hobby for th three years. And I came across his plane on a Facebook group, uh, Bossel Modelers, and it's beautiful. And I, I mean, it was just one little quick shot, but I contacted him. We had a, a nice little interview. I posted the interview on my page, Raviation, and shared it onto RC Roundtable. And he sent me finished photos of the aircraft today, and in fact, just a couple of hours ago. And I have posted them on RC Roundtable, and it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's finished? It's finished. I it's... thought airplanes like that were never finished. <laughs> well, okay. It's 99% finished. How's that? Oh, there's uh, always something else to do, something oh, to tweak. Well, this, okay. this guy is not, not human, so... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's flight ready. How's that? And I, I'm happy for him because he, he finished it for an event he wants to attend in a couple of weeks. Uh, actually, I think the... Maybe, maybe two events. I think there's one maybe in the next couple of weeks, but this uh, big one that he wants to go to in August. It's, it's gorgeous. Please go on our website. Take a look at the uh, pictures of this guy's Zeroli Electric P38. My article... If you go through a couple of pages, we'll tell the whole story, my whole interview with him, and it's neat. Again, this is the happy time of my in the show right now because I love this plane. It's my favorite aircraft, and this guy did an incredible job. And just talking to him was um, amazing. Terry and I had chatted offline 
and he was helping me with the article and you know as he said it's just amazing to think if you when you look at these pictures this guy has only been in this hobby for three years and if you could look at some of the pictures of the cockpits the detail of the cockpit it's a it's amazing something tells me that whatever this guy does he does to the same standard uh, right. You mentioned in the previous show the uh, he built his, the CNC machine to enable him to make this this uh, model, and uh, the, the CNC machine is built to the same standard. It's a beautifully put together and and very nicely finished machine. I mean, Lee, you've seen my, my machine. It looks like a mad science experiment <laughs> with wires hanging <laughs> off it, laser tubes coming off cool. it. Saying, well, you saw you saw the video, right, Ben? Of his yeah, CNC absolutely. machine. Absolutely, yeah. And he painted it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's finished. It's gorgeous. It's very nicely finished. And this this P thirty eight is just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. The craftsmanship, the skill. You you just know that this guy does anything he does is done with the same degree of uh, attention to detail and uh, and craftsmanship. Yeah. So you talk to him, Lee. Do you get a sense that he recognizes how special this model is? Uh, <laughs> or is it just uh, like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's just how I do it? You know what? I think he does now because I believe when he was posting his photos, he was pleasantly surprised on the amount of feedback he was getting. You know, when he talked to me, he said, you know, I've always liked the P38. I th- I'm, I'm just going to start this. And he was just – and because he was doing it by himself, he really didn't have any outside contact about, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. Oh, yeah, let's do this. And here, let me show you some other pictures. He was just focused on building this. And as uh, Ben said, he's a, he's a craftsman. He's He was a carpenter for the Air Force. So he, he built a lot of stuff. He knows construction. And he just stayed focused. And I love how he said, you know, this is typically a three-year build that he pushed into a year and a half. And it was overwhelming for him. But he, he's, he's retired, so he sits there and he spends several hours, you know, a day. And I love the fact that while I was talking to him, he said, you know, I know, I know you need to get back to building. He goes, yeah, <laughs> you know, I got to get back to, to working on the P-38. But now that I'm seeing it finished, oh, you know, it's... I, God, I hope I can see this thing up close. I yeah. hope either my trip to Oshkosh, if he happens to bring it, if he can bring it a static display there or something like that, or if he comes to another show or if it's not too far, I would love to see this plane in the air or, or just on static display. Yeah, and it's funny you know, how we talk about how great this airplane is, even though he's new to the hobby. And in a sense, though, that newness is an advantage because he's not constrained by any notions about what this airplane should be no nope. he's just building it the way he thinks it's supposed no to look preconceived and, ideas uh, on how to do something right and another example of that i knew a guy in houston and he worked as a model maker at johnson space center and he was completely out of the rc hobby but he decided he was going to build this space shuttle like thing and he showed it to me and it was just amazing it was a big model um i don't know probably four feet long with a three-foot wing delta wing and it weighed nothing and i started looking at it and every wing rib on this thing was a truss structure made out of eighth inch square balsa and i'm thinking how many hours did it take him to do this and i started asking him about it he's like oh you don't build all model airplanes that way so you know, he had gone online and looked at pictures of you know, like 1920s airplanes and that's how you built wing ribs right so hmm. so that's how i built this one it just turned out to be an incredible model from from the nose to the tail and completely based on what he thought an RC airplane should be. We all, we all have skills. We all have a, a special talent. Um, some people just maybe don't know. I could never 
build a plane like this. I don't feel like I have the time or the precision <laughs> to, to do something like this. I have certainly appreciate this guy's work, but I do know that I love this hobby and I can sit in my hobby room and build and tweak and troubleshoot and, and go fly and feel completely satisfied with, with the amount of, you know, ability I have to do for model aviation. But I'm so glad we have these guys out there that do things or take the time to build stuff like this because it just makes you smile. Oh yeah. Yeah. My my problem if that was my my project or my my model, I wouldn't be terrified to fly the thing. Yeah. yeah. He is, and he said he's gonna have it on static display for a while yeah. <laughs> before he goes in the air. And he's got a a, a a pilot who's very skilled and 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 ready to to do some test flights with it. But just look at that. Uh, I'm just gonna say I hope people have a chance to go online. You know, pause the recording. <laughs> go go pull up the pictures and then push play and we can continue talking about it but it's great i'm glad i called this guy uh, he was very uh, friendly just opened up to me i uh, took a lot of notes and i hope the uh, the brief article i wrote is uh, tells you enough but uh, if you ever if you're ever in minnesota <laughs> and you want to go see this guy he not only is this uh, p38 really cool but he's also built a 200% spitfire off of flight test pan uh, excuse me flight test plans and you know he fiberglassed it and tweaked it and, and modified it so it doesn't even look like a foamy kit. It's it's really nice. This guy, he he's found a niche. I know you mentioned that when you were talking to me, and then I saw it in the background of one of the P thirty eight pictures. I'm like, no, that that can't be what he's talking about. But that's the one you were talking about. Yeah, and then I sent you the video. Incredible. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So yeah, like you were saying, Ben, it, this is the kind of guy that everything he does is going to look very polished and refined. Yeah. I can get absorbed into a project like that. This happened to me in the past, but um, I'm definitely a builder and not a flyer. I enjoy flying my models, but um, I get as much, if not more, enjoyment from the the design and construction of these things, which is probably why I haven't flown in so long, but uh, I'm a very mediocre pilot, even though I've been flying for a long time. So uh, I hope uh, I hope he can uh, summon the nerve and the skill to uh, to get give get some air under the wings and really truly enjoy it. Yeah, he mentioned that you know as when he was looking back on on uh, what since he started building, you know he's a sixty forty he's sixty percent builder and forty percent pilot. He does like to fly, but he he really enjoys the building process. And yeah. I can't wait to see his next kit, whatever that is. Yeah, even if it's just a Piper Pony. <laughs> is he, It'll be amazing. Is he planning on something? Did he tell you if he was planning on something? He did not, and I, I wasn't going <laughs> to pressure that because then I put him on the spot. But uh, I, I will follow up with him in a couple of months and, and see if he's uh, working on a new project. It would be interesting to see if he does another uh, war, Warbird or whether he does something uh, something completely different. On that happy note, we'll take a little break and come right back. Okay, so uh, before we close, we're going to do a quick workbench. And I guess one of the problems with, uh, you know, Terry's workbench is that I don't even know if he's got it into his basement yet because it was all a packing box for a while. So, Terry, did you ever get that sucker down downstairs? No, it's still hanging out in the garage. <laughs> but I have a very big motivation for moving it, and that's that winter will be coming, and I'm going to have to have the garage cleared for parking there. But that doesn't mean I haven't done any RC stuff. I actually got the um, Pro Boat Alpha Patrol Boat, 
which that's a long name for a model of the PBR that was famous from Apocalypse Now. So basically, it's a, an electric model of that. And we've talked about it on the show before, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you yeah. if that was the one we mentioned. Yeah, that's the same thing. I've got it in hand. So it's really cool. Twin jet drives, and it's a nice scale profile with a lot of details. And that's all well and good. But the best thing about it was it got me doing something RC. And I haven't really done much work on an RC thing in like two months. So it was really refreshing to to get back into the game. And I didn't know how much I missed it until I did it. So it was probably maybe just an hour or two, but I soldered some stuff and I tweaked a few things and I got out an X-Acto knife and that's what I've been missing. So it was good just to find that part of me again. Now I'm even more motivated to get that workbench going downstairs. Yeah, I think you said when you get that bench downstairs, it's going to stay there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, it'll be with this house till it burns to the ground. <laughs> well, good. So, yeah, and on on top of that, I was contacted by a listener just this week, a couple of days ago, and he lives in my neighborhood actually, and he was offering advice on local clubs and flying fields and hobby shops and things like that. So um, that was also refreshing. And so thank you, David, and we'll be in touch soon. Oh, he's taking care of our buddy. Yeah. Oh, thanks, David. Well, cool. I, I, I'm looking forward to more pictures, and of course, let us know what your first flight is. Well, you did you test the uh, the Vortex? No, I haven't flown it in New York yet. All my test flying was done in Lubbock with that. You got to be careful because there's this like new New York bill coming across. Did you hear that? <laughs> we're oh, not, did we not, not mention the New York yet. Senate bill? <laughs> no, but we can put a bow on that pretty quickly. Uh, you mentioned it to me, but actually, yesterday the AMA sent me an email. Uh, I guess because. They know I live in New York now and said, this is coming. These are the concerns about it. If you'd like to oppose this bill, here's the link to do so. Um, and so I did. I did what they suggested, and then I added a few words of my own, and I put my name on it, and we'll see what effect it has. Is there a button I can use to dislike the FAA? Like, is Facebook now the decision maker? <laughs> if, you, if you thumb down or, or do an angry face, is that, is that how bills get canceled? <laughs> No, well, that's how citations get written. Oh, <laughs> they put you in a special folder. Yeah, I know. I know. I've got a folder out there somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, let us know what you uh, what your first flight is. I'd like to know. Okay, we'll do. Hopefully, it won't be long from now. Well, I've been working on stuff on my workbench. I've uh, I've been trying to finish up this Raiden Tech P38. I've mentioned a couple of times and posted a photo. <laughs> it's it's funny because when I first saw Mike's picture on the Balsa Association, Balsa Builders, I posted a picture of my Raiden tech because I was saying, hey, I also like the Honeybunny thing. But now that I posted it, I feel really stupid because <laughs> it's just the quality difference. You know, it's like, and I think I mentioned the <laughs> podcast before, mine's something you get at the grocery store, you know, on the, on the aisle you, you pass when you're on the, out, wait, uh, on the uh, going out the door. <laughs> it, it's building like that too, because I'm struggling with it. But right now I'm working on the uh, battery access doors and you know, most of it's done. I need my spinners to finish uh, mounting the cowls, but I expect it'll be done uh, pretty soon. So as soon as those spinners come in and uh, and I get the batteries mounted, we're we're good to go on the P38. And then the other little project I'm working on is this H&M Corsair that Terry has uh, nicely donated to me. It's an electric kit from Australia. Is that right, Terry? I don't know. That's a good question. 
I thought it was an eight. I thought H&M was an Australian uh, manufacturer, but in any case, it's a nice cool Corsair. I was wanting one, and Terry said he had one stuck somewhere in his hangar. I've uh, just started to put my parts in, and the one downside to this kit was it's really not user-friendly for electric. You'd have to remove the wing each time to uh, get to the battery, so uh, I decided to, to make my own custom hatch on, on top. It's, yeah, it's probably sacrilegious to do that, but I went on the interior, which, Terry, since you probably remember the kit, what's really nice is that that interior is so large where you built the battery support right. for it, and the way they had the uh, formers gave me a good little section I could actually remove. So I put in uh, more little dowel supports, and then I painted the whole thing with uh, white glue to reinforce it so it would stay in the curve. And then I trimmed out around my balsa reinforcements, and it just popped right out. So I've got some magnets on the way, and I'm going to just make a quick little hatch to get in and out. And it's got ample room to reach my hand in there so I can not only... Uh, disconnect the uh, the EC5, the big EC5 connector on the battery, but if I needed to make changes with servos and stuff, the receiver's right there. So, okay. I like that. And then I'll get the cowl done and she'll be ready for a test flight. Yeah. Anderson power poles are really easy to, re you know, take Ooh. apart in those closed quarters. <laughs> <laughs> Got me! <laughs> well, it's funny you should mention that because when I was flying it, um, like you said, you have to remove the wing to get the 6S battery pack out. Um, but I did the usual method of putting a shunt in the bottom of the fuselage so I could put the battery in but not arm it till I got to the flight line. And the shunt and was made from a... The shunt was Anderson Power Pulse. It sure was, which I promptly ripped out. I started doing that on my larger models. That exterior shunt, like you say, is super convenient. But you just can't charge the battery. You don't want to do that inside anyway. No. Yeah, but it's right there. You know, <laughs> it's just right there. I'm not worried about it. Well, you're going to like that airplane. It flies great with a 15.8 prop and that motor and six cells. Ooh, -wee. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Ben, do you have anything? I know you say you're you're quite busy and stuff, but is there any any chance you've got something uh, cooking have, on your work bench? I have a new uh, tricopter uh, design that I. Um, that I've actually cut on the laser cutter, but it's sat in the box waiting to be assembled. Um, it's a prototype for a, for a tricopter. You don't see tricopters very often these days. Um, and the one that I'm most excited about that hasn't made it off the computer yet is a like a de Havilland uh, DH88, um, a modern version of a twin-engine sports plane that I've been working on that uh, for quite some time that. Uh, my my other local RC friend uh, Mark Hunt has been helping me design. Mark is a is a F, quite a well known F three A pilot. He used to fly. I think he was the national the U.S. national champion some time ago. Uh, and he's been he designs and builds his own planes. So he was very gracious to help me design the internal structure. I designed the external surfaces, and he's helping me design the structure of it. So that is pretty much finished. I just need to finish my laser cutter to start building that one. So what event is F3A? It's the pattern line. Pattern. Okay. Yeah. So he designs and builds the two-meter pattern ship, and uh, he he calls his, his planes the Insight RC, and he's got three or four different designs, um, and he competes with his own designs. So uh, uh, he knows a thing or two about airplane design, so uh, he was very, very helpful with me with choosing airfoils and washout and incidence angles and and 
more importantly the the actual construction technique for the for the fuselage and the wing and all that type of stuff yeah, he must have been a great resource because oh. I generally am of the impression that RC airplanes are very forgiving design-wise, but those pattern planes, they are so precise and they have um, such unique facets. Oh, it, like, seems, uh, yeah. it looks like it, like they all have these little canard looking things behind the canopy now. Yep. And I'm at a loss as to what all those things do, but you, you, I'm very interested to learn. He would be a fascinating guest for you on your show because he, uh, he, uh, there isn't any, there isn't, a thing that he doesn't know about aerodynamics and in, in relation to RC planes and making them fly as perfect as these pattern guys do. It's, it's very impressive. So Is that a knowledge that comes from doing it wrong a lot of times or is he classically trained in aerodynamics? Ah, uh, the good question. I mean, he works in the oil and gas industry. He's a talented engineer anyway. Uh, and I, I guess he's built up his knowledge over, over years of experience. He's been flying for a long time and designing and building his own planes. And I think a lot of it is trial and error. And the pattern guys are very sort of helpful to one another and uh, unless they think they have an advantage and then they try and keep secrets. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it's, the stuff I've learned from, from him about the, these pattern planes is impressive. Uh, and the, I, I, what I enjoy most is the construction of these things. So with, um, and I got to know Mark, Mark was actually the very first guy in RC that I actually met here in Houston. I went up to the uh, sparks field here locally and he was flying and he was the first person I spoke to. So, uh, and then it turns out I, and then in recent uh, months I've been laser cutting his kits for him because he sells, sells kits as well. To help. Oh, and his pattern planes are balsa. Yep. They're, uh, Bolsa and uh, aircraft ply, and uh, they're sort of uh, he the, he uses foam core wings with sheeting. Um, he he just hot wire cuts his own cores and then sheets them. The rest of the fuselage is all traditional balsa with um, sheeting, and then the turtle decks are um, uh, foam uh, hot wire foam with sheeting, and they're incredibly light. Interesting. And I think that's a departure from the normal. At least for modern pattern well, ships. Yeah, I think a lot of the, the the high end pattern ships are going to full composite fuselages, and he he's actually helped a few other people and mm -hmm. a few people design them. He actually has he has a, his he has a CNC machine of his own, and he's he's helped people design them, and then he's machined the the very high density foam um, to mm -hmm. make plugs, and then sends right. sends them off to be um, to for the for the manufacturers to do the molding and stuff like that. So. Yeah, really, really interesting guy. Really nice guy. Very helpful. Very uh, willing to to talk. So uh, if you'd get the chance to meet him, Lee, um, I would definitely ask him to come on the show. I'm sure he'd be willing. Awesome. Can you send us links, or do you have any videos that he might have online? Uh, I I will look them up and uh, and send you some. Yeah. Cool. We'll share this. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Lee. Wrap it up. Take us home. Well, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure having you on and, you know, already talking with you before. I think we need to have him back, especially with Fitz, so they can have their little Anderson pull buddy yeah. conversations. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I would be happy to come back whenever whenever I'm invited. Oh, you will be. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, invite myself over to your house, look, look at that new car and uh, your CNC machine and also that uh, De Havilland. 
please do want to see that thing yeah well and the the Havilland, um there's there's pictures of it on my on my website and facebook page but uh they 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 are somewhat out of date like the internal structure is where all the focus is being on the, on that one and and how to build it and how to build it accurately and wing tubes and uh, all that type of detail that you forget about oh well good luck with that and terry it was good to talk to you too <laughs> hope, same here hope you're doing well up there up north you yankee <laughs> i guess i'll have to own that title yeah that's you, fine you fitting in better you kind of liking it now I, I don't feel like i was ever not fitting in but okay. um yeah things are going smoothly well, I wish the best for you. Well, that's all we have for today's show. And guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, check out our uh, Facebook page, RC Roundtable, and also our website, rcroundtable.com. Have a great day. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com where you can send us comments and suggestions and listen to our other great podcasts.